הרב עמק אשר עצמי ועצמנו לכל הצדיקים האמיתים שלך אדוננו וכל הצדיקים האמיתים שלך נפרה הקדושים ועצמם ערפת רבינו הקדוש שתיק יסוד עולם נחנה ונקוח חכמה רבי נחמן פגיננה נחנה נחנה נחמן זכותה נגן עלינו וכל ישראל אמן כן יהי רצון. בעזרת השם let's do this class for the רפואה you want to kick it off for us? David Ben Phoebe, Rivka, Bat Rachel, Natanel, Simcha Ben Chava, Yosef Ezreal, Ben Chaim Ichad, Anita Ben Shoshana, Aviv Adina Batfani, Benjamin Ben Ghetto, Ruben Avram Ben Mazal, Flor Devora Bat Eshbat, Sarah Miriam Bat Sarah, Yitzhak Meir Ben Shoshana, Sarah Ross Ben Hamadina, Bracha Ilana Bat Hinda Sarah. And Bezrat Hashem, let's do this class also for the Ilu Nishmat, for the elevation of the Neshamot. Miriam Bas, Moshe Mordechai Aaron, Rafi Ben Phoebe, Echeskel Baruch Ben Avram Halevi, Reb Shmuel Ben Harav, Yaakov Shair, Lilayim Bat Harachel Bat Aaron, Reb Aaron Shai, Yaakov Ben Adam. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Moshe. Bezat Hashem, all the Neshamot of Am Yisrael, may the, the words that we share tonight, if they're Bezat Hashem connected to the Tzaddik, and connected to our hearts, and connected to good intentions, may it, may it help elevate all the Neshamot of Am Yisrael. So tonight's class is going to be on Simcha, and Simcha, even though normally we do the Parsha of the week, should be Parsha Tuma, we're going to, God willing, tonight talk about a subject that's very difficult to talk about because there's books and there's books and there's books and there's classes done by many people that discuss such a simple yet sophisticated idea. Something that people search for, something that people have, something that people seek that everybody wants in this world and that's happiness. And simcha and happiness, even though we're going to translate it to happiness in English, it's not maybe particularly the exact same translation, but without getting too complicated, we'll use the translation of Simcha's happiness. And what we're going to try to focus on tonight is mainly uh, the spiritual aspects of Simcha and what makes Simcha very special, why Simcha is a pillar um, of Jewish faith and in rest of Hasidut, why specifically it's emphasized so much. You know that Rabbi Nachman is Rabbi Nachman ben Simcha, he's the son of Simcha, he comes from Simcha. We'll share a couple stories about why Simcha was so important to Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, uh, why it's crucial. Rabbi Nachman famously said, we'll kind of just jump right in. And if people have questions or we want to discuss a couple of things, then we can obviously discuss. And actually, before we jump right in, it's very important to say that even though I'm standing over here and I'm 
trying to give a class on Simcha, the more and more that we do these classes, the more and more I realize, especially on subjects like this, that the ideas that we're going to discuss are so powerful, so deep, that Shalom Aleichem, we literally just got started. Maybe yeah, I give you some cheers. Uh, there's a couple, yeah. You good? Feel free to come in and grab some food as well. There's some food on the table. So, um, you guys can come sit at the table. There's literally two spaces here. Come. So, so yeah, just to, to start the class, um, tonight's class is going to be on Simcha. We're going to talk about joy, talk about happiness, and uh, why something is so complicated and so simple at the exact same time, and why it's so important for us to be able to live with this type of happiness every single day of our lives. Now, like I was just saying, the difficulty of doing a class like this is that Simcha itself is... While I'm a person over here that sits over here with my own flaws and my own difficulties that I have as a person, I'm going to share with you as much as I can from the works of Holy Tzadikim and stories of Holy Tzadikim so that we can try to understand the best pieces of advice. We'll focus a lot of advice tonight. We'll focus a lot on practical pieces of advice that we can use to work on Simcha. And I'm going to try to share with as much of that as I possibly can because as much as there is wisdom in the teachings that are going to be involved tonight, I myself am not a person that's a, a proper vessel that has experienced enough Simcha. But because, like we said earlier, it's an idea that when we discuss these ideas like Hidbodidut, like a, a simple meditation to speak to Hashem like he's your best friend, or practicing happiness, it's one of those things that we can discuss the wisdom that's written in these books, but we'll never really be able to feel it until we actually practice it and live it ourselves. And the more that we involve ourselves in it, the more that we try to practice what we're going to discuss tonight, the more we will develop this this level of light and this chokhmah that develops within ourselves in our neshama that allows us to see and perceive more godliness which can be more simcha which can be more enjoyment in a mitzvah as explained in lesson 5 of Likutiman that when a person reaches a level that he does the mitzvah for the root of the mitzvah itself Rabbi Nachman famously says a very novel idea in lesson 5 where he originally quotes from Pirkei Avot and he discusses different ideas about happiness in hasameach bechelko, like a person that's happy with what he has. But he says that when Hashem, it's a very mystical concept, he says that when Hashem creates a mitzvah, there's two types of prophecy. And in lesson five, Rabbi Nachman essentially explains that there's the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu and there's the prophecy of the Nevi'im. The prophecy of the Nevi'im, without going too much into that lesson, the prophecy of the Nevi'im pulls from a level of prophecy that is aspaklaria shelomera. It's a form of a dilution of light. It's a looking glass. It is a form of vision that is blurred. It's too far away. It's like when you're seeing someone from 500 feet, 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, you can't see exactly what's in front of you. But Moshe Rabbeinu sees very clearly that's a different high level of prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu and Rabbi Nachman essentially is explaining in this lesson that this idea of this level of prophecy is the idea of doing a mitzvah for the reward of being able to do another mitzvah, which is schar mitzvah mitzvah, as we explained by our sages, or it wasn't actually from Perkavot, it was the idea of schar mitzvah mitzvah, the idea that a reward of another mitzvah, of, of doing a mitzvah, is to reward you with another mitzvah. And a person, that it also says in the same passage, is schar avera avera, that are, are the reward for a person that does something that's evil, or a person that does something that's a sin, is to be given another sin, which we'll talk about later tonight, about how things snowball, depending on how you feel or how your perspective is. And the beauty of it, of what Rabbi Nachman is saying, is that when you do the mitzvah, not for ulama ba, not for the reward of the mitzvah, but for the mitzvah within itself, 
Meaning that if your mom asks you for a glass of water, you don't do the mitzvah of kibud avayim or getting the glass of water because you're going to get the schar of olam haba because you did kibud avayim. You did it because you enjoyed the going to get the glass of water for her. And you don't want olam haba for it. It's a very novel lesson. We're not going to spend time in it tonight, but it is a beautiful lesson in Bezat Hashem. Maybe we'll do a class on it because just within that self, you learn to appreciate the godliness within it. And the main crux of that point is that Rabbi Nachman explains, and this is the mystical part, Hashem, when He creates the mitzvot, and He develops the mitzvot, and He develops the actions and the circumstances of the world, He develops it with godliness. It's complete godliness. But when you want the olam haba, when you want the reward, you don't tap into the godliness of the mitzvah. And in that godliness, and in the clothing of that mitzvah, the going to do the favor, the going to the market, the going to do a deed, a good deed for someone, putting on tefillin, if you do it not for olam haba, you can unwrap the clothing that Hashem's godliness is there and you unravel simcha. And that simcha is what Hashem hides. That's how Hashem, He clothes this mitzvah. But to, again, so the only way to tap into this level of appreciating the mitzvah, that the only reward of a real tzaddik is that he wants another mitzvah is because he realized that he just lived with Hashem and that he experienced Hashem. So he doesn't want olam haba. He's living in olam haba right now. So he's saying to Hashem, I just did tefillin. Give me a moment to do it bodilut. Give me another moment to go visit a sick person or help out a sick person. You know, God forbid that we shouldn't have to go visit sick people. But the point stands, help me be able to go give tzedakah, help me to be able to do this. And he jumps from mitzvah to mitzvah because everything he experiences is godliness. The simcha being with Hashem. So we're going to try to approach simcha tonight from a different perspective that's not so much developed with the way that maybe goyim or the way that um, regular people look at the world. And we're going to take it primarily through the lens of Rabbi Nachman's teachings. So to start... Rabbi Nachman was famous for saying this idea, which is mitzvah There's this big mitzvah to be constantly, and the main word over there, aside from happiness itself, is to be constantly in happiness. So it's very difficult because it's very hard to be always happy. And he's saying that it's a mitzvah gdola. So he's saying it's actually mitzvah. So aside from the novelty, and like I said, we're not going to go into too many different ideas because I want to play a little bit with everything. It's a phenomenal idea and it's a novelty that someone came out and said that it's a mitzvah to be happy. It's a novelty to say that it's added to the 613 if one can say that this is a mitzvah. Now, it poses another interesting question, which means, does that mean if you're not happy and if you're contrary to happy, if you're sad, does that mean you're doing an avera? And we kind of discussed this at the end of the last class um, off camera. And the truth is that unfortunately, it does trickle into that space. In fact, in Sefer Amidot, Rabbi Nachman explains how sadness and depression is despised by Hashem. But it's not because Hashem despises you if you're sad, because Hashem feels pain when you're sad. So the question is, what does this stem from that makes this so bad? And why is it so difficult to be happy? And why is there always resistance in our day-to-day -day lives that doesn't allow us to constantly feel happy? So to be able to do this, I actually want to read a line from a lesson in the Kutimran that I fell upon today that was beautiful. It's lesson 155 of book one of Likut Imran. I'm just going to read you the first line just to explain this one point. And then after that, we'll get into the main part of the class. He says over here, Rabbi Nachman says that sadness and depression and the things that stem from this is a midara ameod. He says it's a very, very, very bad trait that exists in the world. It's a bad thing that's developed in the world. He says, from here, I'm not going to go into the rest of the lesson. I'm not even going to, you know, I mean, the next parts of the, of the lesson is actually pretty interesting. We could do a class just on this. Essentially, he's saying over here that whenever a person 
is not capable of traveling to the tzaddik, it stems from his, he's pulling essentially from sadness. Now, the root of this and the reason for this, and he also says over here, and a person that's not able to do mitzvot, and a person that's not able to do Torah, and he's not able to pray, it also comes from this sadness. Now, why is this the case? Why is connection to the tzaddik, and why is mitzvot, and why is tefillah, and why are mitzvot, uh, and tefillah, and Torah, and all these good things? Why is it that sadness repels us from all of this? And that is because these things are the essence of happiness. In them, like we said, in the mitzvot are clothed, they're clothed inside and outside in a hidden way that you can only get it if you work and you look and you search, you will see happiness and you will find happiness. What we're gonna discuss tonight is the paths that we need to go through that when faced with difficulty or confusion or blurriness, how to unravel and to find happiness in there. This is the journey of how a Jew finds happiness. It's not found by the result of being granted things that we want. To the contrary, it's by us taking steps like we were discussing with Yosef earlier. It is an actionary process in which we delve and we go closer through difficulty, through difficult circumstances to actually find something that brings us simcha. And to be able to wrap up this idea on this class, um, on this idea over here from this, from this um, Torah, specifically 155 of book one, the tzaddik himself is simcha. Like we discussed Rabbi Nachman ben simcha, Moshe Rabbeinu is referenced as simcha. Many big tzaddikim, they had this essence of simcha to them. You see actually very wise Jewish people, very holy Jewish people, they reach to a point where they are completely enveloped in simcha, always smiling, always happy for another Jew. There's a reason for this, is because their whole being has become a merkava, it has become a, a vehicle for being able to accept the light of Hashem, which is, which is simcha as well. Now, all of those things contain within themselves simcha, and we'll jump around in different lessons of the Kutiman, potentially, so to discuss other different types of ideas. Rabbi Nachman says famously that when a person does a sin, when a person is led to sin, or when the Yitzhak comes in, a person does two sins. So what does it mean that a person does two sins? It means that he does the sin within itself, and then he falls to depression, he falls to sadness. It's very natural that when you don't accomplish your goal, when you don't do something right, that Naturally, from there, you feel bad about yourself, you get down on yourself, you don't feel like you're doing the best that you can. The difficulty with this is that this actually takes us away from the state of being that we actually want to be. In the whole class today, we're going to discuss how you want to be in this state of happiness always. It's your default setting. It's almost like we talk about when you have an iPhone and you restore to the home settings, like whenever you restart your phone, right? It's the same thing. Your home setting, the home setting of a Jew, is Simcha. The home setting of a Jew is Emunah. The home setting of a Jew is all these fundamental principles that Hashem created us with. It's in the root of our neshama. It's our source code. The problem is, is external circumstances hit us in life and they try to bug and bring viruses to our system that shifts us to not being able to recognize ourselves. And then we do types of things where we say, yeah, that wasn't me. I didn't feel like myself. You got angry at a friend and you say, oh, sorry, bro, that wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't being myself. Why is it that whenever we do something that's not like that, we always feel like it's not ourselves? Because, Mamash, it's not ourselves. It says in the Gemara that the Ruach Shtut, a, a spirit of folly, enters into our body, and we do these negative actions because it changes who we are. And we're actually going to develop a little bit on this idea about how all these things affect and how even your perspective and the way you form your mind and how you develop yourself within your roots and your core to be besimcha will actually change the world around you. And that's the most beautiful thing that we're actually getting into tonight whenever we get into the practical things. Now, why is it that the Yetzirah does this? It's because the Yetzirah doesn't actually care about the sin. The Yetzirah actually cares about where the sin takes you. And the Yetzirah wants to get you into a form of depression or sadness. 
Okay? Okay. The Yitzhara wants you to get depressed after the sin more than the sin. Yeah. The Yitzhara wants sadness more than anything itself. The Yitzhara <laughs> wants you to mess with your breed, not because you mess with your breed. He wants you to be depressed for the next week or the next month, or the next year. He wants you down. He wants you to completely wallow in your sadness. He wants you to be so low. So to the point that if you even fell, Rabbi Nachman says, he gives this very simple piece of advice where he says, once you fall, don't, not to think of this and take this in the wrong way. He says, now get up and move on. Forget about it. Not to say that you're forgetting about the fact that you sinned because you're going to do vidui about that later. You're going to sit down, you're going to talk to Hashem about it, you're going to do your evening. And Rabbi Nachman says, in order to be happy 23 hours a day, you need to learn how to break your heart one hour a day to be able to do vidui to Hashem. Because only through being able to break your heart in front of Hashem and express yourself truly how you are, then you can come to happiness. There's this aspect of being able to lower yourself to come back up. We'll actually get into that in a little bit. To a couple famous stories of Rabbi Nachman about how we discussed how going low is actually the ikah and being able to elevate yourself back up again. You cannot actually get the elevated highs without being able to descend low. And this is a massive fundamental principle in Breslev Chassidut. The whole Breslev Chassidut depends on this idea. And so to start jumping now into practical piece of advice, just a little bit, I'm gonna focus on three main things that are the antithesis essentially, or the, the, the negative natures that, that combat Simcha. And these are whenever we fall to the midot of anger, I'll talk about laziness, and then sadness and depression. There are three different ones. There's a lot that we can talk about with other things, other different types of feelings a person could express, but these are the three main ones that negate happiness, or they push us away, or they, or they, they get our choice to get us into these spaces. And the reason why these are very special is because anger stems in a different, and this is why it's very important to think about this, is because sometimes we're in a place where we're actually in a place of anger, which happens to every single Jew to a certain degree, at least the unrefined Jews, which we all are to a certain degree. And it's important to understand where you are because the different tools of understanding where you are and being in met with yourself is gonna allow you to be able to get yourself out of the hole that you're in. And the anger hole is a very different hole than a depressive hole. Because each one of them, the Yetzirah will attack you in different types of ways and you need to be able to recognize where you are to be able to get out of there. Now, anger stems from a place of you looking at a circumstances, looking at a circumstance and believing that you deserved something different than what you received. For example, expectations. Expectations to a certain degree. Get into a fight with a coworker because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. You expected a result of something, you deserved the result of something, and you got something different. You got into a fight with your parents, you got into a fight with your spouse, you got into a fight with your friend, and they did something that disrespected your honor. Oh, well, you deserve honor. Who says you deserve honor? Right? So then it starts becoming a, I deserve this, but I got something different. And so this is why in Gemara Avodah Zarah, it explains that this is as if a person is doing Avodah Zarah when a person gets angry. Why? Because when you get to this headspace of where you are getting angry at what's happening to you in the world, it's as if you telling God, I'm not happy with what you're doing in the world to me. This is one aspect of anger. This is one aspect of being away from Simcha because Simcha is the exact opposite of that which is being happy with everything that you have. Laziness pulls from a different type of energy. It's not particularly as bad, in quotation marks, as anger or as depression. But it's in a space where you don't have a motivation to move forward. So you might be sitting down on your couch, or the second you're confronted with something difficult, which we're going to discuss tonight, is that you'll find happiness when you're confronted with difficulty. That's how you will have the opportunity to enter into happiness. When you're, when you're presented with a challenge is when Hashem is giving you the opportunity to find simcha. 
he's actually going to counterintuitively allow you to enter into a door of simcha only by presenting you something difficult. That's the shlemut of simcha, which Rabbi yeah. says. Uh, he says, um, whenever you turn sadness and you make it into simcha. It's funny, I was reading a piece in Nikut Alachot today, uh, Rabbi Nathan's main work, and in the introduction, Rabbi Nathan speaks about that his works are only touching a little bit of a drop of Rabbi Nathan's teachings, and that even if you were to have all the sheets of paper in the world, you wouldn't be able to discuss a little bit that the world couldn't hold the capacity to discuss those words because what Rabbi Nachman is teaching it has an amkut depth that cannot be properly explained in this world. It cannot. Only after we can even begin to start to see. And so he's saying in there that he brings the Torah, which Rabbeinu speaks about, um, in Lesson 23, he speaks about this idea of channeling sadness and depression and turning it into simcha. And he says, this is the shlemuta simcha. Whenever a person's able, and he brings a parable on this, a person is able to bring something which is mamash symbolizes the sadness and to actually twist it on his head and to bring it inside the circle. So he brings the parable that sometimes you're at a wedding and you see a person not dancing on the side. He said, this person corresponds to the Yetzirah. And what we were saying earlier, is funny enough, David was, was being nicer in a sense about this idea that depression is like pulling from the Yetzirah. I mean, I think depression is the Yetzirah. Yeah. There's, no, there's no difference at all. And not only that, the Zohar brings that Hashem Soneota. He hates depression. A person who's depressed, you can tell immediately that you're not with Hashem. So it's funny enough, Rabbi Nathan says the meter to understand, to determine whether you're with Hashem or not, is how much you have. And that's what David was saying earlier. But he brings a parable. Sometimes you see a person dancing, you see a circle dancing at a wedding, you see a person standing on the, sitting on the side. He says that person corresponds to Yetzirah. The main thing is that the Yetzirah cannot grab into Simcha because they're opposites. They're two opposites. But what's your goal is to try to drag the Yetzirah into the circle because that's what destroys it completely. Because then the Yetzirah becomes developed and enveloped into the Simcha. No, and it becomes really. like the Chalbana in the Ketorah where it smells bad. But when that's you add it with the 10 other spices, it actually smells good. That's the highest Because if you keep the Yetzirah on the side and you say, okay, listen, I'm happy right now with the amount of money that I made. But right now you're giving me a lawsuit. Keep the lawsuit away from me, but I'm going to stay happy with what I have. So there's a level of chokhmah there where a person has enough midot and he has enough work on himself to say, I'm going to be happy, but please don't give me the lawsuit, right? There's a level higher than that where you grab the lawsuit and you turn the lawsuit into Kedusha, into a Kedusha how, Shem. How you do, what? It's bringing the Yetzirah, the depression, the sadness into and retransforming it into a mitzvah. So Rabbi Nathan was saying there, he brought this concept in the introduction. He's saying, I brought a few, I brought a few chidushim on the sinyan that explains how to turn that. The main thing to understand is that you should follow the simple advice that Rabbi Nathan gave, which is turn depression into simcha. Obviously, we understand simcha is not something very simple. Rabbi Nachman said it's the hardest avodah in the entire world. Yeah. The hardest avodah Hashem that exists is to be simcha. The hardest. Yeah. You can try it as much as you want. You're always trying to find your simcha. He says the hardest avodah exists. But he said simcha is something very difficult, and depression is obviously something very difficult to turn into simcha. So he's saying you have to pray a lot to be able to merit, to apply the words that Rabbi Nachman said in simplicity. Okay, the main thing is to apply what he said simply, yeah. not any sophistication whatsoever, to turn depression into simcha, right? Whatever that means. The point is to pray that Hashem gives you the merit to understand what that really means. It all comes through really a depth and a search for the truth, you know? And nothing is given easy in this world. So yeah, what are you saying earlier? They were saying, simcha, all these concepts, specifically simcha, which is the, the pinnacle of everything. And I'm sure you're going to bring stories of the Avizah and all this stuff. <laughs> it's not easy. You cannot get there without 
this yeah. tough, this tough uh, journey. I actually wanted to, um, I'll, I'll get to your question in a second. I actually didn't want to share so many of the stories about Shem Tov Narizal that we did with your other classes because we had another class that we did on Simcha. And I didn't want to repeat too many stories, but we also have other classes and stuff like that that we did on Simcha. And we're working on something that's a, a written piece of content on Simcha, Bezat Hashem. So hopefully with the help of Hashem, we'll, we'll be able to get through this and, and be able to share some ideas on this. But I want to get to Yosef first, no, no, no. and then we'll go on. Okay, go ahead first. We have a question from New York. <laughs> Neshama, go ahead. So when they're they're <laughs> depressed, but they're but they're hiding their depression and they're trying to show up to the dance floor. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to cover well, up there's their so depression. many people. Like if you look at them, you would never know what they're going through. At, for sure, like, for sure. Minds, but then like they they hide it so well, and they are on the dance floor. They are hide dancing with people, and they're not sitting in the corner, but they're going through so much, and they're having a hard time. I think. Just, like, I think one one yeah. of those things that we're going to get it to, and that's going to be in the practical advice part of what I'm going to discuss tonight is going to be the aspect of pretending. I know it's slightly different than what you're saying, but there's an aspect that I'm going to discuss tonight, which is something completely counterintuitive. It's something that Rabbi Nachman discusses that I've never heard in any other book of, of Torah, period, which is the aspect of acting in craziness and acting in madness to fake it and to fake happiness as a real form of understanding happiness, um, which is something completely novel. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, I'm not 100% sure if that's exactly where you're going with this because you're saying that a person has depression and he has these things under the hood, but he's showing that he's happy. I think there's an aspect to that that the person is making the right types of efforts while still being inside himself depressed. What I'll say on that before getting to the next thing is that if a person in his heart feels depressed, then he is depressed. Because in his right, emet, so, he doesn't so, feel like shlemut. No, that's the effort. That's the work because inside. What does that mean? Exactly. So the point, the whole point is not that people are going to be dealt the depression. People are going to be dealt a difficult circumstance. The difficult circumstance is not in your control because Hashem is dealing that to you. The part of it that's in your control is how you're going to choose to perceive and how you're going to choose to move once it's dealt your way. Sometimes in life. Sometimes in life, let's think about this like maybe from like, uh, what's the first thing that comes to my head? A rock climbing example. Sometimes someone's gonna say, you gotta climb a mountain. And then there's multiple paths, right? Sometimes you hear people that they're like, okay, well, you gotta climb Mount Everest. That's like a test when someone gets dealt a test that we read about in the book of Eov, right? That's a test that's just like, that's a crazy test. Like, how is it that person loses all their material possession, all their family members, all their money, and then all their work and everything that they have, and they still try to find Hashem in all of that, okay? That's climbing a huge mountain. Now, the beauty of what Hashem deals us is that Hashem always deals us a mountain that we can climb. The part about it that's difficult is sometimes it feels that the mountain seems bigger than it really is, or smaller than it really is, depending exactly. on our perspective, and it, and it develops within us the reaction that the Yitzhara wants us to get, which is that he wants you to get down and depressed. I can't climb this mountain. It's too much for me. So that's what we're going to try to work on tonight. And we're going to discuss right there. But 
It's completely normal that everyone's gonna look at a mountain at one point in their life and they're gonna be like, this is too much for me. And that's gonna happen in many different variations and it's gonna happen on many different levels. But that's what we're gonna actually get into in, ju in just a little bit. I'm actually gonna get into that literally right away. But first I wanna take Yosef's question, but I'm gonna jump into that in literally a second. Um, you said when the second you said uh, constant happiness, it clicked to me that yeah. happiness, true happiness, is not a reaction, but it's a state. Yes. Because um, like, if it is a reaction, it's very tiring. It's constant thought, like this reaction, reaction. But if yeah. it's a state of being, it's and, and vice versa. Depression is a state. It's not a reaction. Right. Exactly. But exactly. a state is to could it be a, a state reaction of circumstances in a state of beliefs. Yeah. So funny enough, Rabbi Nachman actually says that the Yetzirah, um Hashem created a lot of different types of midot. Actually, anger is one of is one of the most deep midot that Hashem created in the world. That that is a, a massive tool of the Yetzirah. But but that being said, and the Arizal's work in the world mystically was to combat simcha against anger specifically. That's part of what the Arizal did in the world. Now. Rabbi Nachman says something very novel. He says depression was not created by Hashem, actually. He says depression was created by the Satan. Ooh. So depression is not at all, it does not come from Hashem. It does not even exist in Hashem's world. Isn't There's an aspect of anger that comes from a level of holiness. There's, we don't understand it. We don't understand how to perfect an anger and holiness. I'll give you an example of how you can perceive this. Being angry at the Yetzirah that he didn't let you get up for Minyan. That's a holy form of anger. Now you have to know how to target that because there's a form of perfected anger. Now, there's an anger against Amalek. That's a perfected form of anger. Now, we don't know that holy form of anger because we haven't perfected and cleansed the impure form of anger. But depression, there's no purity to per depression at all. There's not even a reverse to it. There's not, a, there's not a, a permutation of depression that consists in the world at all. It's purely a fabrication and an illusion of the Yetzirah. And he wants to get us to that state of being as fast as possible and as long as possible. And Rabbi Nachman said, I've gone to the highest highs, the lowest lows, and we'll discuss this a little bit later in some of the stories about how he went to Alex Yisrael before he came back, the craziest journey that existed, that he went through, the dedication, the Messiah Nefesh, to be able to get to a place of being able to bring a Torah that's very special from the land of Alex Yisrael, which Alex Yisrael is keneged simcha, is the aspect of simcha, it's the upper level of prophecy, it's the upper level of kedusha. Alex Yisrael is only guarded by Hashem, there is no ministering angel like the other places of the world. It is a form of simcha that we cannot even understand. Rabbi Nachman will discuss a little bit about that in a bit. But to jump right into the answer of what Nishama was talking about earlier, I want to talk about one idea which is very important, which is perspective. Let me give you an example. I'm going to use one simple phrase, a simple question, a simple task. And I'm going to show you how your perspective can change the reality of what's going on around you. So for example, person walks into the house, sister, mother, wife, says, doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be feminine, says, hey, uh, can you take out the trash? Can you throw out the trash for me? And then you walk in, and now I'm gonna play you two different scenarios. You're happy, you had a really good day, you closed a few different deals, you picked up flowers for your wife, you walk in the house, you're really happy, you have a smile on your face. And she says, hey, can you throw out the trash? Is there even a doubt in your mind that you're gonna say no? You pick it up, you just go quickly, you throw it out, you say hi, you have a big smile on your face, you embrace your wife. It's a different type of experience. The same question, the same wording that comes from the person, the external circumstance towards you is the exact same thing. It takes 25 seconds to throw out the trash. You walk in, you had a bad day, you feel negative, you don't feel like you're in the right headspace, and it completely shifts. 
Give me a minute. I'm not down. Couldn't someone else do it? Why are you asking me? Didn't you see I just had a tough day? You get angry. You're like, you know what? Fine, I'll take care of it. I can't believe no one else could take care of this on their own. It's the same task. It's the exact same thing. But just your perspective of how you are in your headspace shifted the result of what's going to happen in front of you. Now, this is important because the whole aspect of how we need to act, simcha depends on perspective a lot. It depends on being, like we said, in this base code of I'm always in happiness. Because when you're always in happiness, you have the right vision. You have the right enayim. You have enayim kiddushim. You see Hashem in holiness. You see everything in front of you in holiness. You see good things. Everything. The Torah you're going to learn will be perceived in a higher level. Hashem will reveal to you more because it's all forms of perception. It's all forms of sight. Sometimes you see with your nose. You don't understand how this works, but this is the way that the world works. So this lack of clarity that exists in the world happens because we're not clear and we don't see clearly of what's happening in front of our faces. And this perception creates this fog and this blurriness like we were discussing earlier in the very beginning of the class with lesson five, which is the aspect of the Nevi'im, which have this prophecy that's blurred versus Moshe that has this prophecy that's very clear. And perspective changes the way that we look at things. There's many examples we can use of this type of stuff. There's times where you could just sit in the room and you could just take a couple deep breaths and you could just tell yourself, you know what? My day isn't as bad as it actually is. There is a couple solutions. Let me think this through. And we're actually going to get to the, the second half of the class and the majority of where I want to spend my actual time in a little bit, which is going to be practical pieces of advice and things that Rabbi Nachman gives us. So how we can constantly try to be in happiness and should we be in a lower place or a lower state of being, how we can elevate ourselves back to happiness. Before I get there, I just want to share a couple stories and a couple last things. The idea that this thing and this constant movement can happen and the way that these perspective events that can happen, that can change the reality of our lives is actually very powerful. Because you'll actually see very often that whenever you're in a bad headspace, you ever hear these sayings that say misery loves company? Or there's the snowball effect of how it just snowballs and one thing leads to another bad thing and another bad thing and another bad thing. All this stuff happens because you get into this headspace where you see something negative and then the next thing is negative and the next thing isn't. And it's all because of this perspective thing that we're talking about earlier. So funny enough, I actually heard this really interesting story when I was just browsing online the other day. I was watching some YouTube videos and I just heard this story that was actually pretty fascinating. Um, and it made me realize something that can be applied to everything in Kedusha. And of course, there's a root to this in Kedusha. But because the story was interesting and super applicable, I wanted to share it with you guys. This person was sharing a story about when he was a kid with his father. How when he was in his young teens, his dad was a very strict dad. In a really good way, not like in a particularly bad way. But he always used to make the kids work out. Like to be able to keep a good, healthy body and weight train and challenge themselves. Um, and he did it specifically through bodybuilding and working out. It's not like these people were like bodybuilders or anything like that, but just to train themselves in weight building and just a gym etiquette and things like that. And one day he walked in and he told his dad, I'm just not having a good day. And I'm just not down to lift weights. This is a young kid. Imagine yourself a 15 year old that's saying, hey, I don't want to work out today. You can imagine ourselves doing this even today. And the dad looks at him and he says, I understand. He says, why don't you still start with your warm ups?" So he tells him, when you work out, there's this aspect of warming up, stretching, doing a couple basic lifts with lower weights. It's not so much about the result of trying to beat your goals, but just doing basic warm-ups for a few minutes and just getting yourself ready, your body ready. It's not about beating anything. It's not about being anything better, but just start warming yourself up just to get into the mood, let's say. And he started doing it and the father said, you know, I understand you're still not in the mood and I understand you're not having the right day or not having a good day, 
right? We can equate this to not being happy or not being having the right moments. Maybe today I'm a little bit lazy. I don't want to show up to work. Maybe I don't want to, I'm having some difficulty with dating. I'm having some difficulty with some financial issues that I'm dealing with. So you just, you don't feel like the need to get up. Maybe you're in the lazy state. Maybe you're in the angry state. Maybe you're in the depressed state. Maybe you're just sad. And the dad told his son to go to the next room for a moment. And he went to the bench press, which is kind of like that metal bar where you sit down on your back and you lift it and you push from your chest. It's a chest workout. And there's this metric that he's explaining that people have at different levels. A famous metric whenever you bench press is 135 pounds. It's the bar itself, plus the big 45 weights, each the 45 pounds on each side, which are the big circular discs, which is like kind of like a, a notable uh, benchmark. Like when you reach that point, you're like, all right, I hit 135. It's the bar plus the extra 90, right? And you feel like you did something like really special. So this kid was trying to build up to this goal and he didn't hit this goal. And the dad, whenever the kid was out of the room, he took a bunch of smaller weights and just stacked them on each side. And he told the son and he told him to come in and the son couldn't really look at it. He's like, just really quickly get under the bar and I want you to push as hard as you can for one push. And the son came in after his warm-up, and he pushed and he did one as hard as he could and then he put it back down and the dad said, congratulations, you just beat your goal. You just did 135 pounds. Damn. And he hit it with smaller weights. So from here, he shows him a very powerful lesson and he said this lesson that he learned from his dad was that just because you're having a down day doesn't mean you can't beat your goals. There's a much deeper lesson in this as well, which is that, and that's very simple, but very deep as well. But there's this idea that when we're going through difficulties in life, it's the persuasion of the difficulty and the persuasion of the sadness and the persuasion of the depression that the inside wants to put us into these states that doesn't let us move. It doesn't let us be ourselves. It doesn't let us reach our goals. It doesn't let us show up to work and make the five phone calls that I needed to make today to finish the task that I need to make. And the reason why the Yetzirah gets you there is because he thinks that you can't get it done. But the perspective is just a shift of perspective. You still have the same strength. You still have the same capacity to do the same warm up, and you still have the same capacity to push to 135 pounds. The problem is, is that the Yetzirah creates this blurred vision that we don't have this capacity to push. But worse than that, we get to these mental head state, head spaces where we don't even want to push, where we don't even want to show up to the gym. So part of what we're going to discuss tonight is how to get yourself to show up to the gym, how to even do the little warm-ups on the days where you feel a little bit down, how do you get back up, and these types of ideas. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev was very, very well known for being a rabbi that was a master of the downs, a rabbi that was a master of the depressions, a master of knowing how to get up from whenever you're down. Rabbi Nachman said when he came back from Nehat Israel, he said, he said a couple of things, a lot of things. Um, famously, some of them is that I've gone to the highest highs and I've gone to lowest lows. I've seen the highest places in heaven. We know that his Torah comes from a place that's so elevated that no tzaddik has ever brought down a Torah from that level, specifically the book of Likuti Moran. And obviously some of the stories that come from Sipo Masiot as well. But those Torahs, they come from a place that's so high up. It's a place that comes from Keter. It's a place that comes from Atik, for those that are more familiar with the mystical aspects of the Kabbalah. He says, I've gone there and I've gone to the lowest places in Gehenam. I've seen it all. And he says, there is nothing more difficult and there is not a responsibility of a Jew in today's time and the time of the Mashiach than to work every single day on being happy. This is the Avodah of a Jew of what they need to do. And he says, because there is nothing that the Yetzirah is going to do more than try to put you into depression and put you into sadness. And the whole Avodah, what he lived for was to get the Jewish people out of these places. Rabbi Nachman said, the only reason 
where I was able to get to Eretz Yisrael, which is the attainment of Simchat, the attainment of Imunites, the attainment of the godliness of Hashem, to be able to receive all of the Torah that he received. Rabbi Nachman famously, the Torah that he shared with us in Likute Maran, he, when he came back from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Natan was burning lessons that Rabbi Nachman had prepared of Torot from before he went to Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Nachman essentially told Rabbi Natan, why would I give you a Torah of this level when I just received the Torah of Eretz Yisrael that's infinitely higher? Rabbi Nachman received all the hashkacha that he received and all the Torah and all the nevuah and all the prophecy and all the levels of Torah that he needed to receive for his neshama in the first four steps that he took into Eretz Yisrael. It just entered into him immediately, into his body. It's a concept that we cannot understand. There's stories about Rabbi Nachman, we did a class on this, about how he goes to see Rabbi Shemar Yochai, same root of Neshamat, to a certain degree. Rabbi Nachman's beginning of Likutei Maran is an homage, if we can say, and a respectful, gratitude, loving letter to Rabbi Shemar Bar Yochai, explaining how their Neshamot are, are intertwined in Gilkulim of one another. So there's many levels to the, to the land of Eretz Yisrael. But Eretz Yisrael is Simcha. It's the aspect of happiness. Rabbi Nachman has many lessons in Likut Imran that discuss the connection between Eretz Yisrael and Simcha and prophecy and miracles and being happy. And this is a level that real Eretz Yisrael, real Simcha is a place that we can be in. That we can be walking in the streets of Los Angeles and, be, and we can be walking in Eretz Yisrael. As if mentally in our head we were by Simcha. That we can be in that mental space because we choose with our perspective to see good everywhere. Rabbi Nachman's Torah, one of his most famous Torah, he says the Torah that can hold all Torah of his, Lesson 282, lesson of Azamra, to find the good points in every single Jew. This is the epitome of all of Brest of Chassidut, to find the good in every single Jew. Now, why is this difficult? Rabbi Nachman, as a, as, as a young boy, famously said in Sichot Aran, in the teachings and the advice of Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nathan writes, says when he was a young boy, he had this stirred up anger that would come out from looking at other people and not understanding the Rabu Dat Hashem. Rabbi Nachman did? Yeah, when he was very, very young. Wow. Little child, three, four, five years old, he had this anger on a very, very high level of, of not understanding the Rabu Dat Hashem of other people, of why it's so low, why they do this, why they judge other people. And he had this form of judgment towards them. And he said, I need to get rid of this. As a very, very young boy, five, six, already at six wow. years old, he had already developed the ideas of Sefer Midot. Wow. He had already developed all the concepts in Sefer Midot, which we discussed many times in this class. But Rabbi Nachman over here says, that he got to the point, he for sure confirms this when he comes back from Eretz Yisrael, he's already in his 20s at this point, but he had this already in his teens, where he didn't judge a single Jew negatively at any point at all. He got to this mentality of I don't care. But it's not an I don't care anymore of an unholy I don't care, it's a holy I don't care. And we're actually going to get into a little bit deeper into that when you talk about craziness, about folly of the world. But I want to save that in parentheses because we'll get there in a little bit. Before I get to all this advice and this idea about acting crazy and being the simcha and studying Torah and doing tefillah and all these types of things, I want to share one last thing. Rabbi Nachman famously said when he got back from Eretz Yisrael, he said the reason of my travels to Eretz Yisrael with all the difficulties, the fact that he almost died multiple times on the journey and the people with him almost died and the fact that he couldn't achieve what he needed to achieve, he said the only reason you can attain at the highest of all highs, which is the highest levels of simcha, the Kodesh Kedashim of simcha, he says to attain that you need to attain the lowest of all lows. And he said, even the Baal Shem Tov said he could not attain this low of all lows. He says he could attain the high of all highs, but he cannot attain the low of all lows to its certain perfection. It's not to say, God forbid, that the Baal Shem Tov was not on a level in which he could do this. But this is something that was specifically left for Rabbi Nachman to do. It's something that one very, very special Sadiq had the capacity to go into the lowest of all lows and the highest of all highs. That nobody else can do this. 
It's an ability to be able to go into the deepest depressions and the darkest holes that nobody else knows a way out. And he says, I have this special light that I can navigate this darkness that no one else can navigate. This darkness is a darkness that everybody else feels on their own level. Because we all go into these deep depressions and these darknesses where we don't know what to do. But we need to find a way out. And in those darknesses are dealt the cards on how to play Simcha. And we can only attain Simcha if we enter into those dark places because Rabbi Nachman says the only way to get Simcha, to go to the high of all highs, is you have to go to the low of all lows. The only way you will ever receive Emunah is if you're tested in Emunah. The only way the Jews leave Egypt and have the sea split is if they're slaved first. You have to know the pain before you can achieve any sort of bountiful netzach, glory, victory. The only way you can ever achieve that is by going through the difficulties. And this is explained very simply in a story of the Chacham and the Tam. Because in the stories of Rabbi Nachman, one of the famous 13 tales, Rabbi Nachman says famously, I'm not going to go into the details because it's such a wonderful and beautiful story. I highly recommend for everyone to take a look at it. In Judaism, historically, we've always given so much credit and so much value, even today, to the wise man, the rabbi, the one that knows all the Torah, the one that prays the best, the one that has the most emunah, the one that looks like he has the most faith, the one that studies the most, he knows the most Torah, the most Kabbalah. But Rabbi Nachman gave light and gave more credence and more attention and more credibility to the Tam than any other tzaddik before. He wanted to show you how being a simple Jew, a simple emunah, a simple teilim, a simple tefillah, a simple hibodidut, a simple opening up your heart and talking to Hashem like he's your best friend. There is not a single Torah of Likutei Ma'an that you cannot read in the simplest fashion. A simple book of Hishtab Chutanefesh, a simple book of Meshivat Anefesh, the books on Sefer Mitot, the tales, the 13 tales, you could teach them to kids, you can read them to kids in bed, and they're wonderful stories, and there's other stories at the end of the book, and you can also understand them in a way that a Mekubal cannot even understand them. The highest. The highest level. There's stories of the Baba Sali, about how the Baba Sali stood in front of Sefer Mitot for hours, and he said, I don't even understand the first word, the first line. Sipo Masyot. Sipo Masyot, sorry. Baba Sali said Baba Sali, one time, the, no the students of the Baba Sali came into the room with him and they said, we have a gift for you. And they wanted to bring him the book of Sefer, uh, Masyot, the tales of Rabbi Nachman, the wondrous tales of Rabbi Nachman, the 13 famous tales. And there's extra tales at the end, extra stories and parables. And the Baba Sali opened it up and he looked at the first line. And the first line, which is the opening line of the, of, uh, the story of the lost princess. That's crazy. Rabbi Nachman says, and essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, and on the path... And a person that was on this path, what's the exact wording? Is like when I was on this path, I had a hero shuva. Like there's this aspect of through this path, I was able to be able to find shuva. On the path, that was a bader sipati hansi. And whoever heard this story had a thought of shuva. This is how the story starts. I was on this path, and on this path, I shared a story. And on this, and in the story, whoever heard this had an aspect had a return to shuva. Shuva is the aspect of returning to God. What's the path? What path are you on? He doesn't even explain any of these things. And many of the times Rabbi Nachman starts a story and he's already in the middle of the story. So where's the beginning? Where's the beginning of the story? The Baba Sali looked at this line and he stood there like this for hours. People thought he fell asleep at the table because commonly he would just not move from his room and he would just sit and then he would rest. And these, these people, very holy tzaddikim, are on levels where they do things that we cannot understand. So people would leave him. And when his wife came in to clear the table, she said, he's still awake, I see his lips moving. But you guys all left him. So they all run back into the room and he closes the book and he says, I cannot understand this book at all because I'm already perplexed by the first sentence of the book. No way. 
Yeah. So there's an idea. There's also another famous story about the Baba Salih Asher because you know, you know, holy. You know, whenever we talk about holy tzaddikim, so Baruch Hashem, let's give them some some holy kavod and some holy merits. Because as Moroccans also, we are very attached to the, to the Baba Sali as well. Why did he, I'm sorry, why did he learn it on his level then? He did learn it. He studied it. I mean, uh, so the Baba Sali had Likud Maron on his bedside. Had his Shabbat book. He has his book for Shabbat. The Baba Sali was learning at one point with one of his sons. I forgot the name of his, the son that had passed away. I think it was Baba Mesod. I'm not 100% sure. And when one of his sons passed away in his lifetime, the Baba Sali famously would go into his room and he would learn with his son that passed away. His son would descend from Ghana at a specific time every single day and would learn with his son. And then there was a time when the son told the Baba Sali multiple times, I'm sorry, I have to go right now, in the middle. The Baba Sali one time looked at his son and he asked him, he said, why is it that you have to leave at this specific time every single time? He said, because up there, there's different yeshivot and there's different teachings that are being explained, new teachings of more revelation of Hashem. He said, and there's yeshivot of all different types of very big tzaddikim that reveal new things. Tzaddikim that you can imagine, tzaddikim from the time of the Gemara. And everyone shows up to different types of tzaddikim. He says, but there's one tzaddik that when he, go, when he goes up and he speaks, he says, everyone shows up. Everyone stops what they're doing in the Asha. He said, that's Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. He says, I have to go right now to that. So there's an aspect of wonderment. That's crazy. There's an aspect of wonderment around Rabbi Nachman of Breslau that he says things that are paradoxical. I'll show you another example. Something that's paradoxical. We'll actually get to it at the very, very end of tonight. And I'm getting into the advice. Rabbi Nachman lived his life in a way unlike any other person. As a young child, 12, 13 years old, his father-in-law was, was a massive, massive tzaddik and a person of many different villages. The students of the Magid of Mezrich, the different tzaddikim that were at the time, were perplexed by how the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov would go isolate himself for hours in the middle of the forest, go lose himself in the middle of the lake and not know how to paddle, to go scream and cry, to pretend that he didn't know how to read Mishnayot. Because every single thing he did was for Hashem. It was an aspect of Avodat Hashem that was completely novel. It was a new path that no one ever existed. And he taught Jews and he taught me personally how I can be a Jew and how I can come back to Hashem in my own way. It's an aspect of believing in Hashem that every single person, that's why Rabbi Natan says that in the end of time in Mashiach comes, says everyone's going to be breastfed. He says, because it's not the idea that a person's going to sit down and they're going to have a white kippah or they're going to be able to say that I sat down and I said, no, it's the idea of being able to elevate yourself from the darkest places. This is what makes a person a breast That you take time out of your day that you go speak to Hashem, that you express your heart in your full sincerity, that you become emet, as Rabbi Nachman would say, one of the fundamental principles to have emunah and to be emet, that you're always truthful in front of Hashem, that you never need to be fake. These aspects of paradox that Rabbi Nachman explains, I think in lesson 64 of Likut Imran, he says this idea that when Hashem created the world, mystically speaking, there was this aspect of the void, right? The, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on all the mystical terms for this. That's good, but oh Hashem, I don't need that. So Rabbi Nachman explains how there's this aspect of non-existence and existence, very mystical. This idea that for Hashem to create himself, he has to create a space where he doesn't exist. But what does that mean? There's always, there's always this space that Hashem exists. Says there's always this. So we talk about the Rekia, right? I don't know if uh, I just remember it came back to me. So Rinochman says, how is it possible that there's a space, but then there's the Oren Sof, right? And there's the residue of the light. So it's the exact same thing that applies to us on a very simple level. How is it that a Jew can feel that their life is so difficult, that Hashem is so gone from their life, that I don't see Hashem at all, that I'm angry, that I'm pissed, that I'm this, that I'm that, and I don't see Hashem at all, and it feels like Hashem has completely rejected me, 
And how is it that I can feel that Hashem is right there next to me at the exact same time? How is it that I feel that he's right next to me, but I'm still struggling and it feels that the Yitzhara is literally grabbing me and he's holding me down, but I feel like Hashem is standing right next to me as the Yitzhara is choking me. How is that even possible? How can it be that he exists and he doesn't exist at the same time? Look at the world. People don't believe in God and they believe in God to the furthest extremes. It is this perfection of paradox that Rabbi Nachman explains. And he says, part of this is the secret of this is craziness, is becoming crazy, is saying to yourself that you completely lose all chokhmah and you say with complete emunah, that I believe that the whole world thinks that you don't exist, but I know that you exist and I know you're next to me. So even though it's not normal, I'm going to be not normal. But for me, not normal is normal because I'm next to you. So I'm gonna go out in the middle of the night to a forest to go scream to you. That in the middle of saying a bracha of shakul, I'm gonna scream it as loud as I can. Why? Because I'm only doing it for you, Hashem. And Rabbi Nachman entered into this pnimiyut, into this place and this house and this door that he opened up is I'm doing everything for you, Hashem, for no one else. And in quotation marks, I don't care what anyone else thinks. And part of the reason why we do the things that we do and we're manipulated by the things that we do is because we care so much what people think. We care so much, why? Because it's perspective, it's perception. Oh, I look more religious. Oh, I did this mitzvah properly. Oh, I did this schach, or I learned this type of way, or this person's my rabbi, or this rabbi answered this, and this rabbi has this honor, and this rabbi has this honor, and I have this honor. It's all perception. But all of it is not Hashem. It's not Hashem. If it's done in a pure and only for Hashem manner, then you completely seclude yourself. And what is this seclusion? This boded, it's hit bodedut. It's completely secluding yourself to go speak to Hashem. It's saying to Hashem, Hashem, it's only me and you now. There's no one else. You can be in a room filled with a million people, but you can be completely alone. Completely alone with the idea that Hashem, everything I'm doing is only for you. This is the mentality of what a breast lover wants to enter into, that he wants to enter into this, because there, in there, you find simcha. Because in that room, you find Hashem. And in there, these are the clothing of Hashem. That Hashem brings you through these dark spaces for you to have to look in there, to perceive in there, to say it's difficult, to take a deep breath. The ruach chayim that comes from the life that we have. And so from that, let's start sharing a couple pieces of advice with very simple ideas. Number one, I'm just sharing things of practical advice that I heard, things that helped me that I, that this is all through my own personal experience that I share with you. There's a lot of things that I heard from other people that could be shared as well. A beautiful idea that was shared by Yechiel earlier before we started the class that I didn't write, but it's just an interesting note to point out which is music, which I'm not gonna to discuss tonight, but music is one of the highest forms of elevation in being able to receive simcha, to be receive godliness. There's a form of azamah, it's to sing to God, to sing to God with a little bit. Sometimes you sit in the room and you just sing to Hashem. Rabbi Natan used to famously say, and Rabbi Nachman used to famously say, essentially the, the idea that what makes a breast lover different than everyone else is that a breast lover is dancing to a tune that nobody else can hear. Because that's why the person will walk in and they think that they're crazy. They would give a famous story about a breast lover. He says, you want to dance to be able to achieve simcha. So there's a story about this breast lover that walked home and he used to come home late at night and he didn't want to wake up his wife. So Rabbi Nathan told him, so take off your shoes and dance in the kitchen with your socks. There's this aspect of not caring about what the world thinks of you. That if you want to just scream really, really loud, just scream really loud. If you want to have a smile, go have a smile. You want to go into a room and laugh for 10 minutes, go laugh. There's ways of elevating Hashem in every little crevice and every little thing that we can do. So the first piece of advice that I have whenever you're feeling low is sikhat chaverim. The aspect of having conversations with friends, talking to people. Because a lot like a flame, 
a flame can share its light without having removed from itself, which is a beautiful concept. It's about love. It's how you can also share love with another person without feeling like you removed from yourself. Speaking to a friend, if a person has real love and as a person is a real friend and he's sharing from the bottom of his heart and the person is accepting from the bottom of his heart, the person is removing weights off himself and the other people are not bearing those weights. The weights are disappearing. And the talking with friends is a capacity of how Hashem says and how Rabbi Nachman says and many tzaddikim say that just being able to share with other friends, it removes the weight. It's so therapeutic. I can't even share how practical this advice is. Talk to friends every single day. Rabbi Nachman was a very big fan of this. He spoke a lot about this. There's many lessons that discuss this. Many conversations in Sikhot Ha'an that discuss this. Very, very important. Talk to friends. Talk to people. You ever feel down? Talk to another person. I guarantee that it will immediately make you feel better. Immediately. Similarly, this has a lot to do with perspective because if you talk to people that are in negative headspaces, you yourself will cling onto that negative, that negativity and you want to be careful to stay away from that. So, simple piece of advice. Anytime you're feeling low, always just pick up the phone and try to talk to a friend. It's a very simple, very easy type of way to do it. And it's, very, and it's something that doesn't pull a lot. It doesn't even feel holy. It doesn't necessarily even feel like something that you have to do that's avodah, like I have to go pray to go feel better or study Torah. Just go have a conversation with a friend, go grab a coffee. Just that is a mitzvah. Because it's the aspect of you saying, listen, I'm in a dark place, but I need to talk to someone. And sometimes you feel like Hashem can't even be your friend. So go talk to another friend and Hashem is accepting that of you. And Hashem is going to give the answers to your friend of how he's going to console you. And he will bring you nechama. That's why Rabbi Nachman, his root from his word of Nachman is nechama. He brings the ultimate consolation, this ultimate peace from the inside that you feel peace on the inside of you. Go ahead. What if you don't know how to like talk it out? You don't know how to talk it out? Yeah. There's sometimes that Rabbi Nachman says, and this is discussed in Hishtabchut Nefesh, in the beginning on the books that really discuss Heat Bodidut a lot. Sometimes you have to sit in a room and you have to be completely silent. Because sometimes you're in so much awe of what just happened to you. Sometimes it might be a car accident, God forbid. Sometimes it might be a sickness. Sometimes it might be bad news. Sometimes it might be a bad date. And sometimes you have no words to say. But you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose anger. And you don't want to talk just to talk. So you just sit there. Mm-hmm. And you just sit there and you honor Hashem in your silence. By saying, I respect the fact that you run the world and I don't understand it at all because there is no nature to it. There is no norm, there's no normalcy to any of it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And this is why Rabbi Nachman, and we'll get into the craziness a little bit, that the whole world would seem as if it was going to go like this and it would go like this and we don't even know what it's going to be. And it seems like this is natural, but I worked so hard, but I did so good and I did this and I did this, but why didn't this work out? But then there's the aspect that God makes the world look completely natural, that the flower spurts and the sun rises and everything works like this and everything works like that. And there's a logical answer to everything. But part of the aspect of the Chacham and the Tam, the wise man has an answer to everything. So he keeps on ask, he gives on giving an answer and then he asks another question. And then he gives an answer that suits him and then he asks another question. And he's on this pursuit of trying to dive a little bit deeper. There is an aspect of Chokhmah that is within each and every single one that's a holy Chokhmah. It's a chokhmah of looking at the Torah, the tefillah, the light of Hashem, the lights and the teachings of the tzaddikim. This is a chokhmah where you introspect and you delve into the depth of what is light. Uh, we're going to get into it in a second. It's actually the next piece of advice, which is sit down and pray. Sit down and learn Torah. There's times where I was not feeling great and I just opened up the book and it's it, you have to almost use it as a reaction or you're not going to be interested in doing it. But if you have the strength to open up the book, just opening it up, and just reading a couple words of anything will bring so much light 
And this is Simcha. And by default, it will remove weights off of you and it will cleanse you of all the difficulties that you're going through. Those are two simple pieces of advice. I don't want to spend time on Torah and Tefillah because we can do classes on what Torah and Tefillah are. In so its first is and the second one is, is... These are all just simple pieces of advice. No, no particular order. Conversations with friends. Sit down and do Tefillot. Open up Likutei Tefillot. Read Tehilim. Say Hashem, I have no words to say to you and I'm going through a lot of difficulties. So I'm going to say right now this one Shira Malot. Because I'm going through a difficulty or this person is sick and I have no answer to the rationality of the world and the only thing I can do is pray. So I'm going to put all the weight in your hands. Tikkun HaKalali work for that as well? Tikkun HaKalali by definition is the general remedy. It, re it repairs everything. So you can use Tikkun HaKalali to repair everything. If a person needs Parnasa, read Tikkun HaKalali. If a person's sick, read Tikkun HaKalali. If you're looking for a wife, read Tikkun HaKalali. It's for everything. Yeah. Now, there's another one which is attached to Torah and Tefillah which is very deep, and I will say it every single day until my last dying breath, which is the epitome of being a breast lover, and the epitome of being a Jew, we can even say, which is Hidbodidut. The second you have a feeling of feeling down, a feeling happy, whatever it is, but we're talking about the downs, take it and go talk to Hashem. Don't take your phone with you. I beg of you, do not take your phone with you. Even if you go for three minutes, even if you go for five minutes, lest us even, even say that you can even go for an hour to do what Rabbi Nachman would want of us, Go for an hour, don't take your phone. Go for 10 minutes. Don't take your phone and rise above time. Because Rabbi Natan explains, there's a lesson in Kutimran that discusses this, but Hidbodidut <clears throat> is the aspect of rising above time. There's actually a hint to this in the Sod of this week's parasha with the Menorah, how it's connected to Hidbodidut. But because I don't want to keep you guys for an extra two hours, <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. But if people want to stay after and learn about the connection of the parasha with Hidbodidut, we can do it in five, 10 minutes. But... But the, I'm not going to go into that now, but the idea of rising above time is very powerful. Because when you stop your day of I'm supposed to have dinner with my wife, or I'm supposed to spend time with friends, or I'm supposed to play video games, or I'm supposed to go to Mincha. Mincha is not a good example because there's a time to go to Tefilot, so I would not take away a time of a Tefilot to go to Ibodidut. But what I would say is that when you would replace that free time, that work, that thing when you're not doing something that is directly related to Kedusha, by the way, you having dinner with your wife can be higher than learning Torah. Yeah, sure. If you do it with the right mentality, if you do it in a way where you honor your wife, where you honor yourself, this is an aspect of bringing down the divine providence of Hashem. That when the Shechina and the Zer and Zer and Pin, essentially the Kudsha Biarifu, are able to couple, they're able to come together. When the man and woman come together in peace and unity, there's nothing greater for Hashem. But what I'm saying is that when you come with a broken heart and you say, you know what? For 10 minutes, I'm going to stop everything that's happening in the world. There is no time. It's just you and me. You rise above time. And then you no longer are bound by the nature of the world. Everything you discuss with Hashem is completely above nature. And the Jews are known to rise above the Mazalot. And we can change everything in front of our eyes. There was one time when Rabbi Nachman said this just as a proof to explain to people. But he didn't do it for his own honor. In Chayim Mohan, in the life of Rabbi Nachman, we learned a story. That Rabbi Nachman once wanted to go do it, but it in the forest. And he told Hashem says it's been many, many hours, if not many days, I don't remember, I think it was many days that he was already outset out for Ibodidut. But it had been many, many hours that he had been dedicated to Ibodidut and he hadn't eaten in days. Already at this point in his life, especially as a young boy, he had fasted so many weeks on end and destroyed his body in so many different types of ways by making holes in ice to do mikveh. You know what Rabbi Nachman said, after all the work that many mekubalim do of destroying your body, not eating, swallowing food whole, only drinking liquids and soups to completely remove his tava because there was a big story about that, about how the Baal Shem Tov came to him in a dream and he said, you want to see the Avot? You want to see Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov? 
you have to completely remove your tava of akhila. So as a young boy, as a young, young boy, we're talking about under the age of 10, he already started to remove his tabot of akhira completely. Now, he destroyed his body. He said when he came back from Malaysia Salim, when he was already older, he started to understand this Hidbodidut idea. Already he understood it when he was younger, but he dealt much more to the depths. He said, I would have never done the damage to my body that I would have done if I knew that I can go even higher with just Hidbodidut. Now, today, if you talk to a regular rabbi and you talk to a regular person, I, I implore anyone to do this. If you talk to a regular rabbi and just ask him, you say, what's higher? Are you going to go do Ibadidut for an hour? Or are you fasting for the whole week and doing this and doing this and doing all these forms of going to really cold mikvehs and doing all these different types of meditations and stuff like that? What is someone going to tell you? Any basic Jew would just be like, of course, obviously the guy that dedicates himself in this level where he's like doing these crazy meditations and all these things. No. Rabbi Nachman have gone to the highest highs, the lowest lows. I've seen it all. There is nothing higher for Hashem than when a simple Jew comes in front of Hashem and expresses his heart in front of Hashem. Wow. It's higher than anything. He said it's higher than all the fasts that he did. He fasted for, there was a period when he said he specifically did a fast for seven weeks straight or something like that. That he did it, no, he, he missed seven, six or seven weeks throughout a full year. And he fasted from Shabbat to Shabbat, from Monday to Friday. So it's like there's ideas in here that are, they're elevated ideas that we cannot really understand. He completely destroyed his whole body. Um, but the reason why I say all this is because the idea from here is that in Hidbodidut, you have this capacity to rise above the complete nature of the world and get to a level where you're with Hashem so simply and so basically. We don't want to do this on a deep level. We want to do this on a very simple level where you talk to Hashem the way that you are. You express yourself the way that you are. You talk to Hashem of the things that you feel there's difficulty, where you see that blurriness, where you're like, I'm not seeing the prophecy clear enough and I, I would normally get angry. I would normally get sad. I would normally need to go pray. I would normally need to do this. I don't get what's happening in my life. This is where Hidbodidut brings all the solutions. Now, like Simcha, Hidbodidut is one of those things that it's a muscle that will develop over time. And the muscle that's worked on in Hidbodidut is your heart. Because your heart contains it within its yourself. Like we're saying, don't take your phone with you because the Yitzhah is going to distract you. If you have to go to a room and close yourself in a room, that's completely fine. If you want to go to the beach and walk on the beach and that's therapeutic, do that. If you want to go to the forest like many breast lovers do and you want to do it in the middle of the night and go to Hatsot, do that too. There's many different levels of doing a type of Ibadidut. Don't fall victim to what the Satan is going to do, which is going to distract you from the highest level that a Jew can be, always. which is always being with Hashem. Always doing this walking conversation with Hashem. And when you're doing this Ibadidut, do it in simplicity, do it on this level. Take it very, very simple. There's many different things you can do in Ibadidut. You can do vidui, you can say sorry. You can have hoda, you can have gratitude and say thank you. And then you can have your requests where you ask for things. But all of it should be conversational. Hashem talks back to you in your thoughts, in actions, in the world. And you'll see this more and more. Jump into a few more pieces of advice. I'll save the craziness for the end because it's the last thing I want to end on. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. When I take my phone out, right? Yeah. It helps me because I put a timer on. So I don't do less and I don't do more. I do five minutes and I keep it at five minutes because I'm not really feeling down. That's great. But I turn off, turn it off. That's fine. If I put it on airplane mode. That's fine. Do Put the timer and then put the phone away and when it rings, stop. You're able to do it. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, it helps me a lot when I put a timer Yeah, on. you should. That's perfect. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic start. That's fantastic. My stopwatch. 
<laughs> yeah, do a stopwatch, do the opposite, see how far you can go. But no matter what, it's all good because what the Yetzirah is going to do is he's going to pervert your perception. He's going to tell you, stopwatch, yesterday you did seven minutes, today you did five. What's wrong with you? You're not that good. You didn't actually really do that good of a Yibodidut today. It happens all the time. If you do Yibodidut and you walk into the room and you're exhausted and you lay down on your bed and you start talking to Hashem and you fall asleep, Yetzirah is going to tell you your Yibodidut is worth nothing. Your Yibodidut was so special that Hashem had to take you up next to him. You have to look yeah. at everything in a way of that how Hashem wants to constantly bring you closer. If the Yetzirah is going to perceive you, he's going to try to pervert your perception of what you're not seeing is not good. So fall. everything you need to do, you have to see good. Like Rabbi Nachman said, when he came back from Al-Israel, he saw only the good. Rabbi Nachman has a lesson in Nikita Mahan that he says that I can find even a Nikuda Tova in a Rasha Gamur. A person that someone completely sees as a Rasha from the bottom to the top, only I can find in that. He says it's a level where only the Tzadik Yisodalam can do this. He doesn't say only I. He says there's a very special tzaddik that can do this, but he's obviously speaking about himself because there's only one tzaddik that can describe this, that knows what it is, because he cannot speak of it if he doesn't understand it. There's an aspect of when you sit in a room, let's talk about that for a quick second because it's a beautiful idea, that the I don't care aspect. You know how many times we get into situations of difficulty where we just care so much about what other people think? And it affects us so much that it affects our decision-making. It affects our ability to be able to go out or be able to make a decision or be able to be kind to someone else. When Imagine being able to sit in a room when someone maybe doesn't say hi to you or embarrasses you, but you don't think about anything negative, as Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 6 of Likut Iman. As you hear your embarrassment, you're silent and you're quiet. But you're quiet on the inside. And you're silent on the inside also. That you bless the person. It's not that you're just... You're quiet, but you're silent because you're embarrassed, but you actually think bad thoughts against the person. You're thinking to yourself, I'm also a person that deals with a lot of difficulty. Maybe the person had a bad day. But you know what? I still love this person because this person has complete godliness. And in the end, I'm only here to do what Hashem wants of me. And if this person spoke back to me, it's because Hashem wanted him to speak back to me. Which means maybe I have something I need to work on. So maybe I'll go talk about this with Hashem with you later. But I actually wish the best of this person. And I don't think anything negative about this person. And you know what? Because my base setting and because my default house setting is happiness, what he said doesn't change me because I'm happy. And that's why I don't care what anyone does around me. It's an I don't care of holiness that's so high that it doesn't matter what's happening to you. You still care about every single Jew and every single neshama. And you're going to go pray for the person. You're going to go pray for your friend. You're going to do this. But you don't care that the event of what something's going to happen or an expression or a circumstance is not going to change you. Because your base setting is happiness. Your base setting is imuna. Your base setting is I talk to Hashem right now. So no one's going to stop that from happening. I don't care. The biggest business deal could be happening, but at 5 p.m. I sit down to do mincha. It's my time with Hashem. It's as if I'm doing korbanot. So I want to feel like I'm doing a korban right now in front of Hashem. So you feel as if you're in the Beit Amidash. As the Benish Chai would say, when you do the Amidah, you sit down, you bow your head, you put your hands over your heart, you hide your thumbs, and you sit down with a head bowed in respect and kavod in front of Hashem, as if you're standing in the Kodesh Dashim with the honor of Hashem in front of you and the glory of Hashem in front of you, and you sit there in complete silence and complete humility. And right now, no business deal on earth, whether it's a million dollars, whether it's ten thousand dollars, whether it's whether it's a best friend, or it doesn't matter what's happening, there's nothing that's gonna remove this honor that I need to stand right now in front of Hashem. And I don't care, I'm not worried about it, because I don't care. A holy I don't care. And Rabbi Nachman learned this idea of I don't care completely to the maximum idea the way no one else spoke about I don't care. To the point that, and now let's discuss a little bit the craziness. David Melech, when he was captured by the Plishtim, he acted as a crazy person. He says this, Rabbi Nachman says this is one of the hints of Simcha. 
that you can act crazy and you find Hashem in that craziness. That he was drooling on his beard and he was laughing on the floor. And they said, this guy's the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem, the head of all the Jewish people. They threw him off on the shores. They said, we don't even want this person. This person's a sick guy. Rabbi Nachman did this. He would play soccer with kids in Turkey. He would act like a madman. Rabbi Nachman famously, when he came back from Eretz Yisrael, it was well known amongst the followers that he introduced himself to other people by another name sometimes. Not as Nachman. Why? As Yitzchak. But he says, you want to know why I introduced myself as Yitzchak? And then Rabbi Nathan says, and he didn't tell us. <laughs> but we can say that Yitzchak comes from the Lashon of Tzchok, as we know in the Torah, when it comes to the story of Sarai Menu, when she had Yitzchak, she started to laugh. There's this aspect of laughter, there's this aspect of craziness that some people would dare write even that Sarah Menu was on a level where she didn't have faith, that she laughed at Hashem. That's not the understanding. There's a level of laughter, there's a level of happiness that's so high up that the nature of the world is that you're not supposed to have the child, but you have the child and you're laughing because it's only me and you, Hashem. The world is crazy. They think I can't have a child. I knew I was going to have a child. You know, Avram and Sarah, they were having children in the upper worlds that they were not able to bring down the children to the lower worlds. Up until a certain brit milah, up until a certain level, and then Sarai, at the name of the hay, changed with the yud. Yud is an aspect of brit, it's the aspect of the seed, it's the, se- it's the drop of semen that's able to descend, and then you can have a child now born wow. from there. There's aspects in here that are amazing. And Rabbi Nachman says, Simcha, Yitzchak, he says, this is the name that I would have. One time a follower came up to Rabbi Nachman, he said, I wanted to name my son Nachman. He says, but I have a problem. The grandfather of the boy is Yitzchak. So he says, I don't know what to do. There's the honor in the family and it's very traditional to be able to name after parents and grandparents. But I also want to name after you because he was one of his students. He wanted to name him, give kavod to the tzaddik. So Rabbi Natan told him, he says, you can name him Yitzchak. He says, because within Yitzchak is Nachman. And there's this aspect of, you are Simcha. Everybody within each other, each one of us is a Yitzchak. Every single one of us has laughter within us. Every single one of us has simcha within us. We just need to find it within the difficulties that we deal with. There's this aspect that's very famous in Breslev Chasiut also about saying these milei dishtuta. It's like saying like words and phrases that are like stupid phrases. Or like talking like, we're going to talk about politics right now. We're going to joke around. We're going to say little jokes. Not things that are inappropriate, God forbid, or things that are are impure. It's just a talk with laughter. It's a talk with sayings. The famous Balapetek, the famous Breslavachasi that passed away about 20 something years ago, almost 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I believe. Um, famously said, I think 28 years, famously acted like this. When you see videos of this Chav, look up videos of Rabbi Yitzchak online. And I hear this from people that are direct students of him, people that lived with him. They say there was not a Rav, there was not a Gadol Hadok, there was not a Tzaddik that lived in our times that we saw that laughed and joked and played around and played games the way that this Chav did. It does not exist. He would walk around and he would pretend he'd talk different languages with people. He would just joke around and say random jokes with people during the day. He would pretend to be a cow in the room. He would pretend to laugh. There would be times where he'd pretend to lose all his chokhmah and he'd be a complete meshuga. Rabbi Nachman said there's times to be complete meshuga. He discussed this even in different types of lessons over here as well. It's brought down in different lessons, many lessons actually. There's an aspect to completely losing your mind in complete Kedusha because you realize the, that the insanity of the world, that the vanity of the world, the Hevel Havalim, that there's complete vanity and it's complete destruction. That the man that writes in Kohelet, Shlomo Amelech, right, that says that the world is Hevel Havalim, Hevel Havalim, he repeats it over and over and over again seven times. The man that has everything, the man that has all the money, all the women, all the wives, all the Torah, all the wisdom of Hashem. And what he's saying, the whole world is vanity. It's all vanity. It's all chaos. And Rabbi Nachman knew that. He saw that. He understood that. The people that walk around today and say, no, no, there's beauty to life. The world is filled with chaos. 
you want to understand what the beauty is. You have to uncover in that darkness. You have to enter into that room and you have to find yourself. Which leads us to the next point. Because we can talk about craziness and folly a lot and maybe we'll do it in many other classes. But I just wanted to give a couple different little ideas on that. And this ties directly to it. Now we're getting to the last couple minutes of the class. There's this idea of you want to enter into that room, you want to enter into that darkness, you want to find Hashem. You first need to find yourself. So a piece of advice that I have, sometimes, like we said, just to bring it full circle, sometimes you got to act crazy. Sometimes go in the bathroom, look in the mirror and just start laughing. Even if you don't feel it. If you're feeling sad, just go and just crack a smirk. Just crack a little smile and just see a little bit what will come from it. Take a couple deep breaths, see what comes from it. The other day I was a little bit angry with some stuff that I was doing with work. Obviously it's right before Adar. We know right now we're entering into a month of Adar. This is actually a very special year because we have two Adars, which means Hashem doubled the Simcha this year, which is a very elevated level. So Baruch Hashem, now we're in an aspect of where we can have Simcha. So obviously if He's going to grant you a door to Simcha, now we learn something very deep. That means He's going to also open up doors that are going to appear a little bit difficult. God forbid they should be very light and very easy and we should see it with wisdom. But... If he's going to grant us these opportunities of simcha, he's only going to grant it by opportunities that we need to develop this, this work, this emunah. We need to ask Hashem, we need to look for Hashem. So when you do it, go into the mirror whenever it's a little bit of a difficult day. Take a deep breath. Give a little smile. Start looking at yourself. Ask Hashem in the tefillah, say, you know what? Find a good point. This is another good piece of advice. Do as amra. Start having gratitude. Gratitude. Sometimes whenever you're feeling down, when you're really, really deep and when you're really, really depressed, it's very difficult to find the gratitude. Sometimes from anger, you need to cool down a little bit. Sometimes it takes a couple of hours, right? But find your way to come back home. Find your way to come back to your base mode of being in happiness. And when you do that, pick up a book of Torah quickly if you can. Pick up a little tefillah, just shira shalim. If you can't even do it, just as even a joke. Say, listen, I heard David in the class, and David said, you know what, don't even say the word, don't even say the word shira malot, don't even read the whole shira malot, just say the word shira Say, Hashem, I'm so angry right now. I'm so pissed. I don't even understand what the hell happened to that work. But you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to do one little thing as a joke. I'm going to say the word shir because I pretended as if I said one of the shir amalots right now. Yeah. So I'm just going to say the word shir. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you 1% of me and see what happens because even just that word shir, you did something that not even the tzaddik ador can do because the tzaddik ador doesn't fall into the place of anger the same way that you fell into anger at work or with your friend or the date or whatever the situation is. But you have the capacity in one of the weirdest situations or falling in breeds or falling in this or falling in that or falling in anger or you can say, Hashem, I'm going to find you there. The tzaddik cannot find, the tzaddik at work and the tzaddik of the generation, the big rabbis of the generation cannot do that. They cannot find Hashem there. But if we find Hashem there, we bring Hashem's glory down to a place that's very, very low. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the highest ways to glorify Hashem. It's one of the reasons why we're on this earth. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Only in madness uh, could a person understand the sanity, the sanity of the universe. Hmm. Only in madness can a person understand the sanity of the universe. Yeah, I, I think you that that really ties into the, the idea that we're discussing about how the universe how is saying that the universe is... But there's there's a universe within ourselves, there's a universe within the world, there's the outside, there's the inside. Right? That's why I like to say Hashem, because Hashem incorporates... There's, it's the universe is limited. There's it's, an aspect it's a in between. Holder. Universe is a placeholder. Yeah, it can be anything. There's a lesson in between. There's. It's not even a lesson. It's a writing. And I was talking to Moshe about this before the class. Before, in between book one of the Kutiman and book two Tinyana, there's uh, there's Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Natan add essentially this this um this lesson we can say of Echadai Avram that Avram was one. He was one in the generation. He was solo. He was Hibodidut. 
No one believed what he believed. Everyone thought he was crazy. But he said, I believe in the madness. I believe in that sanity of the nature. I see Hashem. For me, there is no idols. There is no this. There is no that. There is no, we're supposed to have children before the age of 99. There is no any of this. He believed in a different form of nature. He believed in a different form of sanity. It's above nature, what he thought. It's completely above nature. It's completely rising above nature. That's what he believes is rising above nature. Simcha is rising above nature because the whole world is to make you depressed. If right now you don't do anything, your base, your nature, your code will be completely corrupted and you'll have a virus within minutes, within hours potentially, depending on how strong your simcha is, you'll immediately get corrupted. The whole world is meant to go into chaos. But the chaos is the gift that Hashem is giving us to be able to elevate his name in no other way that no one else can do. We can only do this through this way. Well, uh, one way of saying it is like, sanity is order. Yeah. Right? An insane person is one that doesn't have order, right? Yeah. So, sanity is order. Um, Insanity is chaos, you're saying? Kind of. So like, if you're sane, you have order. And if you want to understand something else, you can't understand sanity with sanity. Because it's like order and order. It's like two negatives. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You need to be mad, meaning you need to be all, all over to understand this, this, the order of the thing you want to know. Yeah. It's like everything in life. You go up and down. You know, it's like, it's like you want, to, you want something good to happen, you have to go through a test. Yeah. It's, like this, it's this common pattern of going up and down, up and down. Confusion, clarity, sanity, insanity. And back to this idea of the perspective, right? Because we want to wrap up with these, these last two ideas. Um... You, you need to love yourself, which is another piece of advice in okay. being able to be happy. Because you can only love yourself and happiness can only dwell within a system of a person that loves themselves. It's not a love of vanity. It's not a love of kavod. It's not that you love yourself and you walk around and it shows like, hey, I love myself and I'm walking with an attitude with my head held high. It is, I'm walking with a sense of, I love my neshama. I love the test that Hashem gave me. I love the car accident the same way that I love the work that I showed up to that's annoying, the same way that I love the mincha that I went to, the same way that I love that I woke up late, the same way that I love that I put on tefillin. I love it all the same. It is hasameach bechelko. It is the shlemut, as the marsha would put it, on having this completion within your body, as Rabbi Nachman would bring down. You need to work on this love of yourself, that even whenever you get down and you get into these difficult places, when you get into those difficult places, you actually don't love yourself. It's a, there is a point within yourself that you don't actually love yourself and you need to regain that love. It's another piece of advice to say that you love yourself. Walk into a room and start saying to yourself in a very kind way, you are good. It's difficult, but you're going to get out of this. Hashem gave you this because only you can get through this. In lesson five of Likutiman in the very beginning, we learned this beautiful phrase that Abin Nachman says, which is, the whole world was not created if not only for me. You need to think about the world as if the whole world depends on you. You also need to look at the world with a sense of humility, as if your friend was also not, the world was not created if not for your friend, for your wife, for your parents, right? So you have this feeling of, you feel responsibility, a responsibility to constantly look fresh and be simple, be a good Jew, but also respect the fact that another Jew also has another life that's happening in front of him and you have that kindness to be able to support him and help him and give them the ability for them to shine. And with lastly, after we talked about loving yourself, I want to share one really quick piece of advice and then the main point. There's this idea that I've developed over the last years, which I focus a lot on habit tracking. I studied a lot on habits, habit change, habit formation. Um, there's a couple of good books on it. Right? Yeah. All those books are good books. 
Um, I have a habit tracker that I did many times last year. I started again in the beginning of this year. I did it for the whole month of January. I'm now starting again for the month of February. I'll show you a couple pieces of advice that I practically use that really helped me a lot. One thing I was working on was that I realized that I was not happy with the way I was speaking sometimes, that sometimes I would curse. So I said one thing I did, and I listed about 10, 15 things, positive things, negative things, negative things I wanted to get rid of, positive things I wanted to work on. And one of those things was like I was tracking my ability to do it times. I was tracking the amount of learning I would do per day. So I would make sure that I would get a learning in per day, right? And there's things like when you sit down and you have it track, you actually, it's a massive piece of advice. You actually start to really accomplish tremendous goals. Mm. Uh, and I realized that you can even do it for a happiness tracker. You can say to yourself, was I happy today? Was I sad today? You could use it in a negative sense, a positive negative sense, meaning that if you catch yourself in sadness, and that la sadness lasts more than 30 seconds, then you put a tick that you were sad on the day. And you say to yourself for the next 30 days, I'm counting no more than 10 sadnesses. And see where you land. And I did this, and I beat my goal on the amount of times that I cursed in the month. I think I said it at like, um, I said it pretty high, I'm not gonna lie, it's a little embarrassing. I said it at like 30 curse words or something like that. That's high? For a month? I mean, it's embarrassing because Listen, everybody on their own level. I felt, I felt, I felt as if I felt as if it was something that I was losing control that I didn't care about. And what the point of why I'm bringing the habit tracker on is because I'll show you another thing that I shared on. I did it also for Lashonara. I realized that there were times where I was catching myself, or even not in a mean way, I would talk about someone else behind their back. And sometimes it came from a place of like I'm heated because this person is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Or maybe even talk about it in a sense of kedusha. Maybe you talk about it completely in a sense of tuma, which is even which is much. They're both they're both the same thing. We don't even know, right? That I limited myself to eight lashonaras per month to catch myself in because that I can't. Once you caught yourself, you're already done. But I realized that there were times where I would be in a room and I would hear so, because it's not just speak; it's also hear. I would be times I would be in a room and I realized that I chose not to be in the room because. I knew that if I was in the room, I'd have to mark the tick tomorrow. Wow. And it comes to you and it cracks in your head. There's times where I'd be talking with someone where I'd normally just talk very loosely and I would just be like, yo, dude, that was such an amazing night or whatever this was, or just, and you loosely drop that bad word. Because we just say it, we don't really care. Like, hey, man, I don't even care about that or whatever it is. And you just drop a word. Maybe a word that's less appropriate. Everybody has their own way. But then you start marking those words. It shifted the way I talk. So my bad words was like counted at like 12. And my last was counted at four on the month. And next month, when I prep for this month, I set it at the limit of why I hit it this month. Oh, so wow. now I have to go less. And you do this thing where you do little things like this, and you start realizing that normally when you'd be in a room, when normally you could talk with your friend about another friend, and it's not so bad, and maybe it's not even really Lashonara, but maybe it's better to don't just talk about them. And maybe it doesn't even tread on Lashonara at all, but, you, but for you, it, something just doesn't feel right. So you step away from it completely. So habit tracking is a, ma a massive piece of advice that I started doing and I started doing it again and I'm gonna do it God willing and I'll try to stick with it this you year. you track it like on a paper? Or? I track it on a paper. I have a habit tracker that I built out for the breast lift group that I, that we have, that for our thing. I can send the template to everybody. You can print it out. Send it on the group. Yeah, I'll send it in the group. It's PDF, you can print it immediately. And you circle the month, it has all the months, the date, and then you start, and you have boxes and you can put however you do your notes. So I put like next to my box, I also put like my goal. So I also have on it like safrut, which I want to work on parchment. So it's like a good habit. Like I want to sit down and I want to write more. So I make sure that I write four hours a week. So that, this past month I actually lost. I did about three hours a week for the last month, but I know that I, next month I have to shape up because otherwise I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And you have to make up for the week that you missed? So you have to do five hours? So yeah, you catch up because if your month is like I do three hours a week, 
right? And Lent comes out to, let's just say, about 12 hours, give or take, of safrut. But I'm at 10 hours and I have two more days left of the month. I better shape up to crack those last couple hours. Otherwise, I'm not making my month. And you do this, I do this with halacha because Rabbi Nachman says it's good to study halacha. So now I have a habit in the morning when I'm getting dressed, right? I play quickly halachot that are sent to me, audio lessons that I learn halachot really quickly. So I get two halachot sent to me every single day and in two minutes I crack out my two halachot. And I learn halacha every single day. A little bit of halacha. All right? So you can do these things where like, okay, well, maybe you've been trying to get into hidbodidut. Hidbodidut, every single day, one minute. And then next month, maybe it'll be five minutes. And you'll do it on your own level. Do we progress every day? Like, let's say one minute the next day, we do a little bit more? Or to one minute, one minute for like... It depends the trade, and it depends how you want to judge yourself. It depends how you want to work on yourself. Everything is a little bit different, right? So the curse words, I want to set a limit. Um, video games, maybe I want to set a limit. Um, maybe mundane conversations, I want to set a limit. Maybe, uh, you know, going to gym, I want to set an opposite limit. I want to say, like, minimum two times a week, right? So you, you adjust it however you want. Or you can say total hours of gym time, and you can put it in hour time. We can have a whole class about habit tracking and things like that, but do it... You know, I would tell you two pieces of advice with it. Number one, don't take on too much more than you can chew. And number two, uh, do it in a way that you're more conservative with your goals so that you build up an esteem, like a, a self-esteem for the ability to be able to achieve your goals. Uh, focus on things that are really good and fundamental. So like there's, uh, there's so many different pieces of advice on this, but uh, don't write too many things down on a piece of paper. Yeah. Sit down first and write a piece of paper of all the things you want to accomplish this year, all the things that you want to work on, negative, good, bad, and then start looking at it and say, okay, I have a list of 25 different things. What are the 10 most important things? Like what are the it's... five more important, most important things? Yes, exactly. And then say, over there, I really need to work on this. Like, I can tell people off the cuff, if you don't do Hibodidut, put Hibodidut on the page. Like, that's, a, that's an immediate on the page. Because there's nothing higher than being able to speak to Hashem. Last thing I'll share as a piece of advice, and this is maybe one of the most important ones, is... Like I said, you're walking this narrow bridge that Rabbi Nachman said. And Rabbi Nachman said, and the ikar, the main point, as you're walking this very narrow bridge, is not to be scared. It's a very famous song. Never lose hope. Because when you fall down, there's this feeling of like, I cannot accomplish. When you're lazy, it's like, I can't show up to work because I'm not going to get it done. Remember the story of the bench press. Realize that if you just do a warm-up, even if you show up to work and you're supposed to do an eight-hour day, but you showed up when you wouldn't have showed up and worked five hours, but you showed up and you worked five, that five hours that you worked is the equivalent of working a 15-hour day on a regular day. Because that amount that you bench press, you can still beat your goal. And you know what? You'll be shocked by the fact that just spending a couple minutes of just doing a little bit of positive movement will generate positivity, shift perspective, shift the way you see the world, shift the events that are happening around you, and you might even accomplish more. You maybe even did a nine-hour day that day. Right? So never losing hope is a very big thing because you need to have faith and you need to have faith in yourself. To be able to find Hashem, right? To have the love of Hashem, you need to have the love of yourself. To have faith in Hashem and that Hashem has faith in you. You need to have faith in yourself. You need to never lose hope. And this aspect of walking this narrow bridge, Rabbi Nachman knew that the life that people are going to live is going to be very difficult. Like we said, you want to find that happiness? It's found and it's clothed in the darkest places. It's in the low of the low. You want to get to Eretz Yisrael, you have to go to the lowest of the low. It's not saying, God forbid, that a person should go into the place of Tumar, things that are disgusting. But Hashem is going to bring you to those places. The Yitzhak will bring you to those places automatically. It's the way the world is built. That is the nature of the world. It is built for chaos and destruction. This is the world. Rabbi Nachman says famously that this world is Gehenna. The world that we live in right now is chaos. 
But the way out of it is to look deeply into there and to search and to find and to find Hashem in all this chaos, the paradox. The Hashem is not here, but the Shem is here. I want to find Hashem in there. And then you become crazy and you say, if I listen to every logic that I hear from everyone else, I'm gonna go completely mad. So instead I'm choosing to not do anything other than believe in you with simple faith. That even though it doesn't make any sense that I shouldn't make my rent this month, I have complete faith that you are taking care of me. And even if uh, the rent is, I get the rent three days late, that was your decision that I get it three days late. And that is your will and that will is good. This is finding Hashem in the clothing that is negative. It is the Shechorah Ani Vinava. It is the finding, as we say in Shirashim, that I am black, but I am beautiful. It is the darknesses that is the negative traits that you sing to Hashem. That you walk into the room in a video and you say to Hashem, I'm happy with all of this. That you show up to Hashem and you say to Hashem, I'm happy that you gave me anger. That I'm happy that you showed me that today I got completely lost it. Even there I find you. Because I don't want that anger anymore. Mm-hmm. Now if I attach Hashem in that Hibodidut to that anger, I now completely elevated that anger to Simcha. Now that anger became Simcha, I found Simcha. A Simcha that no one else can find, by the way, because that Simcha didn't exist. Yep. It's a metamorphosis of things that don't even exist in the world that you are now creating and you are developing above nature. A new world, a new nature, a new reality of Hashem that Hashem is waiting for you to do. And Bezat Hashem, this is the work that we need to do in this world. And these are some of the little pieces of advice and I shared with you were a little bit away about the idea of music and other things. There's lots of things at our disposal. There's lots of things we can do. But these are just some of like the seven, eight things that I give as piece of advice that really help, that help me whenever I feel down. There's lots of other types of things um, that people could do and we could discuss this. But if someone wants, send me a message. I'll send them the habit tracker. Um, it's one of like the single-handedly like most awesome things that I did the past year or two that's really helped me track my goals and track what I do. The amount that I write when I'm working on Tavar Tours, like how many write pages do I write per day? You'll realize so many things that you want to accomplish because you're like, dude, I, I don't want to write this. That's embarrassing to write this down that I didn't do this tomorrow. Or like if you're working on Mincha Narvit and you don't do Mincha Narvit, like, and you set your Mincha Narvit to 10 a month or five a month, right? When you show up and you hit Mincha, Dude, you just hit 20% of your month. You know what I mean? You did something really big. It's like huge. So it's like exciting to go and you could say, I can tick that box tomorrow. Like I earn that box. Yeah. So it's something very special. And Bezat Hashem, Hashem give us a lot of energy and a lot of force and a lot of help yeah. and, and a lot of mercy to be able to work through this connected to the tzaddikim. Right. Um, you know, we didn't even discuss the tzaddik, but we, uh, the whole thing we discussed, Bichlel, is the whole tzaddik. But another piece of advice is attach yourself to the tzaddik. It's big, it's big, it's big You know, the thing on the losing hope and faith I'll, I'll just share one last thing You know, if anybody wants to go In lesson <clears throat> 49 of Tinyana Which is the second book of Iqutiman Rabbi Nachman shares something incredible About this idea Also slightly paradoxical It's one very simple line Going to end with this. He says in Parkimo. <laughs> Here's what he says. It's actually funny because Moshe was actually talking about this earlier. And then he talks about this whenever a person he can find the ikah of Chuva. He says in the last paragraph, in the last section of lesson 49 of Tinyana, before he gets to lesson 50, he says, and he says, it's, a, it's like, it's an incredible thing 
that a person still has a yetzah, right? It's very weird talking about how it's it's great this idea that a person still has a yetzah. Ki az yachol laavod oto yitbara laavod oto yitbarach im hayetzara daika. Sorry, I didn't I didn't read that clearly. Let me say it again. Ki az yachol laavod oto yitbarach im hayetzara daika. The idea that the person has a yetzara, Rabbi Nachman says, is a phenomenal concept. I've never heard this, by the way, from any rabbi, that the rabbi says it's great that you have a yetzara. Um, but he says like this. He says, why is it great that you have a yetzara? He says, because you get to worship Hashem specifically with your yetzara. Which is a beautiful idea, and this is why I wanted to share this with the what? idea of giving up hope. You get Let, to worship, okay, I'm sorry, You worship Hashem with the yetzara. You go to Hashem in your bodidut, you go to Hashem with your like we were saying earlier, you show up to Hashem and you show up to Hashem with your imperfection. You show up to Hashem when you say the difficulties that I'm going through in my life right now, I feel like the Yetzirah is choking me, the chaos of the world, but I feel like you're right next to me. I'm going to choose in that chaos, in that craziness to become crazy and to say that I love you and I care for you and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to be like Rabbi Nachman and I'm going to say that I'm going to be 100% in Emunah with you even though the Yetzirah is choking me right now. And you're saying, even though Yetzara is messing with me right now, that it wants me to mess with my Brit. I'm going to go right now and I pick up a Gemara. I'm going to go pick up and I'm going to read a Tehilim. Even though I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now or ten minutes from now or an hour from now or a day from now. I'm angry right now from work. But I'm choosing to worship you with my Yetzara. It's the aspect that we said at the very beginning of the class. Where you see the Yetzara outside the circle, you bring it into the circle. There's a reason why the Yetzara doesn't come into the circle because it's too much power. There's too many people dancing and singing. So it needs to stay on the side. But it still exists while it's on the side. It's still alive. It still draws breath. But you take the Yetzirah and you see to him, I know right now you're testing me and I know you're making my life really difficult. I'm going to take you right now and I'm going to go do it. Come with me, Yetzirah, right now. Let's go talk to Hashem. Can you imagine what this is? That's crazy. He says, this is the phenomenon of the people that realize that they have a Yetzirah. He says, with your Yetzirah, there's something good too. Because you can worship Hashem with the Yitzhah, which many people cannot do. Because very few people, when they have their Yitzhah that's attacking them, they go worship Hashem. He says, you take your Yitzhah, and then you bring it towards Hashem. It's almost like a korban. You do shrita to your Yitzhah. It's an aspect that's so elevated, and this book is filled with ideas and concepts like this that are paradoxical. It's good that you have a Yitzhah, because you get to worship Hashem with your Yitzhah. It's a concept that we cannot understand. It's a concept that we don't understand. That he puts depression in us and he chokes us with difficulty and trials and tribulations and difficult feelings. But you take those feelings and you bring them to Hashem. And then it changes the whole world. It's, a, it's an it's a unfathomable concept that cannot be explained. It does not make any sense. But within all of it is all the glory of Hashem. And this is Simcha. This is finding Hashem in these places. So... Be'ezat Hashem, in the merit of the tzaddik, in the merit of all the holy tzaddikim, in the merit of every single person here, in the merit of all the glory of Hashem in the world, may we may we have the merit to be able to to have some simcha and be simcha tamid, to always be happy, to always set back to simcha, to always find happiness, mm-hmm. to always come back to this, because it's a very powerful lesson, and we should merit this, and we should work for this, because this is the ikal of life, this is being life, this is happiness. Wow.